Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. I nearly said, today you're listening to Arkham Horror, a podcast that I got very confused. Anyway, how are you? Uh, I'm good, much better than last week. Glad to hear it. Arkham Horror is the name of the game, Frank. It is, yes. Yeah. I've got there in the end. No, I was just checking. I was just checking. So I'm um, right. Let me make a note. Arkham Horror. Yeah, Arkham Horror, the card game, the living card game. Cool. Yes, brilliant. the name of the game. What are we talking about today? We're doing another one of our esoteric devices episodes. So these are where we take a single card or a couple of cards, delve deeply into them, see whether they're any good, where they might fit, see if it gets us inspired to build decks with them, that kind of thing. And like we did with the Empower Self episode, we actually put a few different cards in front of patrons and asked them to vote. And of course, it's quite fun to do because it inspires discussion as well amongst the patrons and they divide up into different factions of <laughs> loving certain <laughs> cards. So yeah, that's that's fun. Yeah, I, I, just to give everyone the brief bit of background, I guess we gave on the the first time we did this, well, not the previous time we did this, it's been stated several times, not least of all by us, that it's a shame we don't get to talk about uh, kind of old cards, any cards, to the same level of detail we get to talk about the spoiler cards that we get sent by FFG. Mm. So these are a way for us to treat a card like we've just been sent it as a spoiler (laughs) and and, and really go to town on, on dissecting it. We get to announce this card, except everyone already knows it, but we get to give it that laser-focused attention that fans of the cast will know and hopefully love. So, Peter, do you want to read the card, or shall I? Uh, Can I read this one? Please do. So, what we're going to talk about today is... uh, Can I pronounce this correct, is the question. Divermi Mysterious? Do you agree? That'll do, yeah. How would you say it? <laughs> well, because it's Latin, there's no, like, dropped sounds. Oh, so, de vermis. So de vermis, mis- mysterious. mysterious. Yeah. Anyway. That's my understanding of it, but how do we know? Mysterious. I've never met a Roman who's told me how to say the word, so... Signs of the Black Stars. Mm. So, this is a two-cost, two-experience asset with a single intellect pip. It has the item and tome traits, two very good traits. And it has an action ability, exhaust DVM, as we'll call it, and place one doom on it. Play a spell or insight event from your discard pile, reducing its resource cost by one. After that event resolves, remove it from the game, and it takes up a hand slot. Ludwig Prynne was its author, he who had perished at the inquisitorial stake in Brussels when the witchcraft trials were at their height. Robert Block, the Shambler from the Stars. Lovely. Stone silence. <laughs> just Stone in, silence. Incredible. There's so much. I love cards like this where there's just. They're packed with things to look at. And I often find myself just not knowing which way to go <laughs> and waiting. So I have actually looked up Robert Block. Oh, yeah. So maybe we first go to the flavour of this card if that suits you? Yeah, yeah, please do. So De Vermis Mysterious translates roughly as Mysteries of the worm. Uh, well, really as well, because it's Latin. If you have day, it means at the start means regarding. And a lot of Latin texts start day. So they're just saying like the, the topic of this thing is 
Da-da-da-da. So this is regarding the mysteries of the worm. Interesting. Created by Robert Block and H.P. Lovecraft then uh, took this book title and added it into into the mythos, which we've talked about before. He the people the within, time. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Lovecraftian circle were quite keen to borrow each other's names of books and things like that. So there was a sort of collaborative effort around building the mythos. And it features in his book, The Shambler from the Stars. It's described as the work of Ludwig Prinn, uh, which the flavour text gives us anyway, who is known as an alchemist, necromancer and reputed mage who boasted of having attained a miraculous age before being burned at the stake. And I mean, it's, Lovecraft really gave take, Block... As he's there, like, being burnt. I'm really old, you know. Yeah. yeah. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up, Lovecraft gave, gave Block some Latin to use as the invocation from the book, which is Tibi Magnum in, in Nominandum Signa Stellarum Nigrarum et Buffinum... <laughs> such good Latin. <laughs> Buffoniformus Sadaquae Sigillum which is to you the great not to be named signs of the black stars and seal of the toad-shaped Sathogua. So that's where the signs of the black stars subtitle comes from then? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's fascinating. So yeah, it's a it's a kind of funky book. It's supposedly filled with spells and enchantments, particularly those that can summon other creatures. Right. So yeah. And the Shambler from the Stars in, Ludwig, in, in Bloch's story is one of the things that can can be summoned, which is known in Call of Cthulhu role-playing game as a star vampire. Ah, okay, so, yeah, cool. Loads loads of information for you here. So, so I guess let's translate then. If, if Prin was a necromancer, amongst other things, he's bringing things back from the dead? Yeah. Which sort of yeah. ties into playing Speller Insight events from your discard pile. Yeah. It's obviously not quite mechanically the same, but I think it works. Like, we can go with that. So yeah, so that's the flavour. It's this crazy tome that has insane power. And obviously it's nicely fitting for Arkham as well that we've seen other pretty powerful tomes like the Necronomicon. And one of the challenges of the game is how do you make them magical and impactful without just making them spells? And that's something that I really like about DVM, that it does something pretty powerful, but in a really weird way. Yes, it, it's it's a thing when you're when you're writing something, it's very easy to to put a magical book in like the Necronomicon and ascribe mm-hmm. to it whatever power is necessary for the drama of the story. Yeah. So yeah. reading from it, you know, brings someone back from the dead or whatever, and it can it can fit very well. And it, you know, honestly, it's one of my favorite things in, in like <laughs> horror fiction. Someone reads mm. from a big old ancient tome and something horrible happens. Yeah, massive tangent. Norman's main signature is the Book of Ibon, yeah. which we've not yet seen what it does, but I'm already really excited about Norman pulling out some super powerful book and, you know, he's given up on his astronomy textbooks and is now reading just like this magic tome. Yeah. It's really cool. I, if if you enjoy that, I can also recommend the... Uh, what is surprisingly good is the, the Evil Dead TV series, mm. which is... <laughs> it starts off well the the evil dead is they find a, a recording of someone reading from the necronomicon um, which they play and in playing it 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 enacts the ritual 
Oh wow! Okay, it becomes increasingly uh, bananas as as the series goes on. Uh, but the TV series, he gets really drunk and reads a bit of the Necronomicon out to impress a girl. Oh no! Okay. Uh, and he ends up summoning summoning all these demons once again. But yeah, very good fun. Um, Bruce Campbell is a, is just doesn't take himself seriously and has great fun with his roles. That's great. So yeah, should we look at the card maybe? Let's, yeah. yeah. Uh, so what jumps out straight away on this card to you? What, what what are the first things that jump out to you? The one thing you didn't say, which is it's a mystic card. So the oh, beautiful yeah. purple design. God, yeah, I took that for granted. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard for me to pass. I think what really jumps out for me is adding doom to this card. Okay, that's a great place to start. Yeah. Adding doom is uniquely a mystic thing at the moment right yes yep yep we've got a few we've got the abyssal tome we've got blood pacts mm-hmm. we've got david renfield we also yep. have Arc- a arcane initiate arcane initiate yen of course we have oof, well i guess one th- one card available to any mystic or anyone with access to mystic cards we've got moonlit ritual was it moonlight mm-hmm. ritual moonlight moonlight yeah uh, which removes all doom from a player card off the top of my head. Yes. Yeah. So you could you could stack up a little doom on one card and then use Moonlight Ritual to remove it. A couple of other things worth mentioning. We do have uh, Sacrifice in Mystic, mm-hmm. which allows yeah. you to, to trash a, uh, a Mystic asset. And it's a combination of three resources and drawing three cards, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's a nice way of ditching a, a card full of doom and, and still still getting a benefit from it. And then, of course, uh, we can look at Marie, who not only benefits if she's got cards of doom on them, she also has some way of managing those dooms in her um, her signature event. Mm-hmm. So she can yeah. stop the agenda advancing. And her Elder Sign ability can add or remove a doom as well. Yeah. So if you use Seal of the Elder Sign, you could control when you pull an Elder Sign and remove it. It's kind of nice. Yeah, I think you've covered... Everything really well there. I th- the thing that jumps out to me about the Doom, as you mentioned, those different Doom cards, with something like Arcane Initiate, I wouldn't run Moonlight Ritual to remove that Doom. I'd just play around the Doom thresholds, and it's a one-and-done Doom, isn't it? You you play the Initiate down, either you kill off the Initiate before its Doom has had an impact, or you play it in the Witching Hour and it has no impact. Yeah. With DVM, you play it down at some point, but then it's a step more than just here's a doom I have to work around. I think because I'm adding the doom myself. Mm-hmm. So every time I want to use DVM, I'm adding this extra layer of thought and consideration, which is, is this an okay time to handle the doom? How will I get rid of this doom? Will I discard DVM to get rid of it? And that that then adds a layer to me of what's challenging about this, that this is a two XP, two cost card. So discarding it, to get rid of its doom could be it feels like quite a lot to do yeah yeah with renfield if you've tapped renfield up to three doom you've made six resources so you're doing well and if you keep them at three doom you can make loads of resources yeah you lose the willpower boost but you're just losing a two cost level zero asset i mean i i can see your argument there frank Mm, yeah but you compare this to eidetic memory which is a three XP. 3 XP removed from the game, is that right? Exactly, and and that copies one event. 
yeah. one insight event, which is which is yeah. wholly within the scope of DVM. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point because maybe maybe I need to get more confident with how I play with with Doom then because yeah, get much more out of this and not feel like I need to clear it or. Yeah, I mean, there's interestingly, interestingly, drink. Uh, there's a few. I don't know. Is there a few ways you can use this? You can you can use it once and then just hold on to it. You could all only use it during the witching hour. Mm-hmm. You could use it a lot, burn, try and burn through it, and then get rid of it before it has an impact. Um, it's is, it, is there that flexibility? <laughs> I don't know whether that's flexibility. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely empowering the player mm-hmm. to decide how they use it. Yeah. And I think I think that's a really good point. And it's one of the challenges is depending on the the doom clock as well. You know, we've seen recently at least a scenario that has like a three doom threshold but just keeps looping. So that means you know every third turn you could be using DVM with impunity, which is pretty great. But if you use it on turns one or two of that three three doom cycle, you lose yourself a turn. So yeah, yeah, there's there's something else going on there. I suppose the the other thing to add, you mentioned Marie Dexter also has a way of handling the doom. Yes, because he can, he can sub this hand. out for something else, but also his elder sign could pull it back to hand. Yeah. So he's got he's got some kind of playful options there. That's really nice. Yeah, I like yeah. that a lot. So yeah, he's slotted in without an action as well. Yeah. So yeah. So what are you playing is the next question, I suppose. Well, just just before you go, oh, no. can go I on. very briefly mention another card, uh, which is quite a powerful card, Knowledge is Power. Mm, um, yeah. And let's yeah. just briefly note why this is interesting. Choose a term or spell asset you control, uh, resolve an action or free ability on that asset, ignoring all costs, including its action cost, if any. So, And that's a fast event. So Knowledge is Power effectively in this case becomes an eidetic memory. Because it allows you to copy or use the ability on DVM without spending an action, without triggering the the, the place of doom clause mm-hmm. of the cost. Yeah. So yeah, you know, feels like if you're playing DVM, you probably want to be playing knowledge power as well for some free triggers of the ability. So you just mentioned knowledge power, and that was going to be when we talk about. For me, I wanted to mention a few things that respond to the tome. Oh yeah, ability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please do. And knowledge is power is the big one. I think that's the signature one. Yeah. However, there's a small suite of tome adjacent cards developing in Seeker. Yeah. Oh, okay. I see where you're going with this. Yeah. Please carry on. The research librarian. Mm-hmm. Um, when it enters play, you search for a tome and add it to your hand. So once DVM is in your hand with the librarian. You could then use knowledge as power because you can target tomes in your hand. You don't even have to have them in play, um, which is nuts. So you have DVM and knowledge as power in hand and you play knowledge as power, reveal DVM and resolve the action on DVM without doing anything, which is crazy. And then we've also got Witten Green now, who gives you plus one intellect if you have a tome in play. And you can also use her to search your deck for tomes. And her level two version gives you plus one willpower as well as plus one intellect, and you get to search even more. So that's kind of cool. There's also Abigail Foreman, the library intern, yeah. who hosts a tome. Yeah. And when you resolve an action ability on a tome that's on her, you exhaust her to resolve the effects again, 
not the costs. The costs on DVM are exhaust and place a doom, and the effects of player's spell or insight event from your discard pile reducing its resource cost by one. So potentially if you had DVM hosted on Abigail, when you do the action ability on DVM, you'd be able to play two spell or insight events from your discard pile, reducing the cost of each by one, which is kind of obscene. Yeah. And then yeah. finally, the library docent, which came out in the Harvey Walters pack. When the library do- docent enters play, you get to return, return a tome, return a tome <laughs> to your to your hand, and then play a different tome, reducing its cost by two. So where that I think is particularly interesting here is that DVM doesn't run out of charges or or anything like that. But if it has lots of doom on it, one way that you could clear it of its doom is play the library docent for one cost, pull DVM back to hand rather than discarding DVM. And then DVM's cleaned up to play or the doom has been discarded. You can put it down again on a later turn. So yeah, that's, that's the tome tech that I've identified. What, if anything, leaps out to you about that? Well, uh, what leaps out to me is that they're all seeker cards. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Abigail, 4 XP, all the rest of them, mm-hmm. 2 or less. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, if if we want to build a deck around DVM and some of those other cards, we're looking at either a main class seeker, off-class mystic, or... If we forgo Abigail, a main class mystic, off class seeker, or, or you know, I think there's a decent number of them we could access with level zero seeker access as well. Um, mm-hmm. Knowledge knowledge's power has been tabooed, so it now costs two XP, but it's still a level zero card. So of those people, let's put some names to those people you described. Yes, we could run Daisy Walker yes. for her seeker and then mystic zero to two. We could run Norman Withers who has seeker zero and mystic one to five. And he could also run Moonlight Ritual because he can run five level zero Mystic cards. We've also got Luke Robinson. Yeah. Who's Mystic zero to five, Seeker zero to two. And of course, are those Luke, the three main ones? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you could say, I guess Jim, you could also say as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jim with a research librarian. Yeah. yeah. Knowledge is power. I mean, that's a wild build. Um, I like I like it. Um, it's pretty <laughs> wild. I think of those of those... Well, Daisy jumps out for her interaction with tomes, right? Either mm-hmm. you're getting, if you're using parallel Daisy, you're getting benefit from having lots of tomes in play. If you're using mm-hmm. regular Daisy, you're getting an action to use something like DVM for free every turn. But maybe Luke is where we should be looking, because I think we've we've talked about this before. Luke liking playing events likes the spell event suite we saw in a recent cycle. Mm-hmm. So. Spectral Razor and Read the Signs, etc. All of which could be replayed using DVM. And because he's playing events, he could then be playing them at adjacent locations. Yeah. And also you could, I don't know if this makes a difference, you could Knowledge is Power DVM to play. It doesn't, that doesn't make, Knowledge is Power doesn't make a difference. Knowledge is Power is useful for Luke for turning something like a shriveling into an event because you can target shriveling, but because you're playing an event, you can do that in the JSON location. Yes. But given that knowledge is power just allows you to play an event with DVM anyway, it doesn't make a difference. So, yeah. Right. So I think the spell suite is a really good good shout. And I, I've pulled up a list of spell or insight traded events 
of which there are 119. Oh my god. So, settle in and let's go. No, I'm, I'm joking there, <laughs> but strikingly, Survivor has no spell or insight events. Is that right? No. Alter Fate. Oh no, it does. It has three. Alter Fate and Fortuitous Discovery, and that's it. Rogue only has three as well. Eavesdrop, <laughs> Reastrad, and Shaw Gamble. And then the bulk of them are obviously in Seeker, because almost every event in Seeker is insight-traded. Yeah. There's a, a couple bunch of spells. of spells in Mystic, yeah. and then there's sort of ten or so in Guardian, fifteen or so. Now, that seems like an alarming number, but there's another category of event that we can immediately discount which is fast events right not all of them but most of them because dvm takes an action to play and often fast events have a particular triggering effect so ward of protection is a really easy one here ward of protection reads fast play when you draw a non-weakness treachery card if Ward of Protection is in your discard pile, you can't spend an action on DVM to play Ward of Protection out of your discard pile to cancel an event. Yes. I think every fast event should either have a triggering point or a period in time in which it can be played, right? That's right, yeah. They almost all clarify when yeah. they can be played. But some, like, say, Shortcut, might... I mean, Shortcut doesn't seem a great use... <laughs> an action mm-hmm. to use this unless you want to push someone else out of a location um shock at two potentially mm. the maybe you do the knowledge is power thing yes just realized what happens if you play a shortcut two with dvm after that event resolves remove it from the game i think i think it attaches and then is immediately resolved yeah, that's that's pretty brutal <laughs> and i was going to say you know similarly open gate yeah 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 is fast, says play only during your turn, but using DVM to play it for an action, you attach it to your location and then it discards. So I, th- I think most fast events, I could be wrong here, but most fast events are not worth spending an action to to play. You know, there's another option here of something like, say, a mind wipe, that you really want to mind wipe another enemy. So you spend an action on what is normally a fast card. Yeah, that seems super niche. Yeah. (laughs) Involves someone taking Mindwipe for a start. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So broadly speaking, fast events are out. So things like your wards of protections, your deny existences, maybe your shortcuts. So that does actually limit the pile, as you say, pretty effectively. And I think that spell suite really jumps out for me. Drawn to the Flame, have you heard of that card? Uh, no. When did that come out? That's, it's an insight event where you draw the top card of the encounter deck and then discover two clues at your location. Oh, cool. Sounds good. So it's not fast, which is pretty good. So if you're desperate to get clues, you can do. And then in Seeker, some of the cards that jump out to me are, there's a few different ones, but things like Preposterous Sketches and No Stone Unturned, they're two-cost events, draw you more cards or find you cards. If you're just desperate for card draw, the ability to replay one quickly, grab a bunch more cards, is pretty useful. And I also thought things like I've Got a Plan and Occult Invocation, if you just need more fighting, being able to to loop those as well seems pretty nice. Yeah. So that's kind of where my head's gone to. 
I, I guess one of the one of the issues I have, and I I do love the idea of this card, but the mm. the issue I have is if you're if you're focusing a build around events, don't you want some more reliable way to recycle those? Say in in Mystic, something like um, Quantum Flux to put all mm. those events back into your deck to draw into them and play and them to again. draw into mm. them and play them again. And DVM just burns them away, right? Yeah, yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's really challenging. I think that probably, to me, adds to the difficulty of playing around the Doom. Like, I don't think the Doom in itself is a major problem. Mm. But if you're burning the event rather than getting it back, and you're having to do that at a time where you can handle the Doom, it starts to add up to be really challenging. Yeah. And what comes up for me is it's maybe a style that runs counter to how both of us like to play, which is, it's a sort of, trying to think of the right word. I was going to say aggressive, but it's more than that. It's almost anarchic that you're tearing apart your own deck in the pursuit of power to just smash a scenario. So I think both of us like like to play efficiently and I quite happily loop my deck because I want to play all of those cards again. And DVM's like, don't even wait to loop your deck. Burn them now, you know. Who cares about waiting? I I would be happy to play a deck like that. I don't know mm. whether there's a an investigator who, for me, really fits that theme. Maybe you know who just popped mm. into my head because of the way you said that. Who can take this? Who? And who has a lot of cards in their discard? Patrice. Patrice. Yeah. Mm. Is there maybe a deck where, again though, like Patrice will want. She, but you can loop your deck twice with Patrice, right? <laughs> and use mm, your Elder yeah. Sign, and and she loves having things like Resourceful or whatever in her deck to bring cards back and use them again, even multiple times on the same turn. Mm-hmm. Also, she can't take any of the other term support, mm-hmm. um, mm, so she yeah. can't take knowledge, knowledge as power. So she almost fits the kind of bill of a of a of a investigator who wants to burn just burn their deck away. But she's also the one who is able to use recursion most efficiently. Mm. Yeah, and, and it's, I, even I don't even know how many of the spell events is she actually taking. Yeah, it depends depends on the build you're running, right? Yeah, because maybe you're running drawn to the flame and the spell event sweep because she's got a willpower of four, so she's you know she's testing at six for all of them. Yeah, without boost. Yeah, yeah. I mean that works, maybe. doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, but it's strange. It's very strange. That's what I mean about it feeling a little bit different. It feels like it's maybe where I've felt limited by it is it's just one too many steps for me as a player to get to that point of like, burn it all down, let's do this. Can I ask a silly rules question? Please. If I play a fight event using DVM, does that give me an attack of opportunity? Does it depend? I don't think that's a silly rules question. The costs of DVM are just exhausting it and placing a Doom on it. Yeah. And you pay the costs and then trigger a tax opportunity before resolving effects. But if I play Spectral Razor, the game knows that it's a fight event before I've played it, right? Yeah. (laughs) What if it just says... (laughs) It could be either way. It's definitely not a silly question. By memory... I remember people complaining about DVM that you would get hit for doing things like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. But I could be completely wrong. I mean, what what I'm thinking about with with Patrice is that having specialised events becomes quite difficult because your window to use them is when you draw them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've I've said I'm not a huge fan of say lucky in Patrice because you have it for return, I, you, but if you don't take a test, yeah, which uh, you know, fine, you know, you've passed all your tests on your turn, and that's that's a win, but you cannot commit it. All you can do is yeah. retroactively use it, which I, I guess like isn't really a problem. You can still burn it for something like cornered. Other, why wouldn't you just use it afterwards? I'm, <laughs> I'm talking nonsense. But the, the more the more specialised the event, basically, the less useful it is for Patrice. Mm-hmm. Unless you can also get a lot of value out of committing it. That's what mm. I'm trying to get at. Yeah, yeah. So something that lets you pull the right event from your discard pile after you've already dumped it in there feels m- useful. Yeah, yeah. Because essentially what you were alluding to when you were talking about recursion in Patrice is turning her discard pile into an extension of her hand. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. you have things like the improvised events yes, which I love aren't too useful in her hand, but then they sit there ready to go in the discard pile. And yeah, I think DVM does do a similar thing where it says any insight or spell events that you haven't played or you've just committed for icons, don't worry, you get them back later on. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive, right? Yeah. You could you could be recurring the survivor things, which broadly speaking aren't insight or spell traded, and then you could be, uh, you know, with resourceful or, or playing them out of the discard pile. And then if you're running the spell events as well, you could be replaying them with DVM, maybe. The other thing to note as well is it doesn't care about the level of the card that you're replaying. So if you do have access to some of the really powerful Seeker cards, like Deciphered Reality, Deciphered Reality yeah. you, you could be replaying that. If you if you really needed to, there's cryptic research as well, but it is fast, so I'm not as sure about that. And then I was actually, as I was looking at the list, thinking, if your hand is full and you've got extensive research in your deck, like yeah. maybe you do just play extensive research, get two clues, it costs you say two resources, and then DVM add a doom, and it costs you one resource because you get an extra discount and you get another two clues. Like you're maybe That's not nice, going actually. to be playing extensive research repeatedly as you loop your deck because the window to play it at the value you're getting is, is because you've got all those hands in, the cards in hand, maybe. I like that. I, I do like that. That's what I mean about the kind of anarchic thing. It's like, let's make the most of it right now. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or you know, just burn those as you get later on in the scenario. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe that's, that secret deck is one that doesn't loop itself right through you know mm-hmm. I guess like you get through your deck I don't know I, I don't know whether you've had this feeling you you loop your deck in the closing turns of the scenario and you know all your good cards are in your deck but suddenly you've got an extra 20 28 cards in there <laughs> yeah well yeah. not that many because you've played some but 20, 20 odd cards in your deck and you're like well yeah I have got those cards in my deck but who knows where they are so mm. you 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 slow yourself down towards the end of the scenario, and you can replay all of your best events again twice from your discard pile, as long as you've got a way of managing the doom naturally. Naturally, yeah. So that raises a great 
related question, which is what's left in your deck when it loops if you removed your insight and spell events? And say if we go back to the mystic idea that you're not playing deny or ward again, yeah, because they're fast. So that means say you've used DVM four times and you've trimmed your deck a bit, the likelihood of hitting other cards goes up. So the likelihood of hitting that ward for that clutch final turn or the, the deny existence to stay alive to finish off the scenario slightly goes up in in probability because you've you've thinned your deck a little bit like that's that's an option here or if you know what's left in your deck then is your deduction or your some skill card that you need that's going to get you through the last section you're more likely to hit it on the loop funnily enough i've actually just this is a tangent i've actually just been playing diana stanley solo with empower self after our empower self episode and I took a little detour and went to play War of the Outer Gods, and I got the Enchanted Skull as one of my rewards. Mm-hmm. Most listeners won't know this card, so I'm just going to run through it really quickly. It's a one-cost asset, and it's got two free triggered abilities. The first is that you exhaust the skull, and you put the top card of your deck face down underneath the skull. Yeah. And then the second ability is just a free trigger. You don't need to exhaust it. You get plus one to your skill test for each card underneath the skull. And then you discard a card from underneath the skull at random. And you can only do that once a turn. So like every turn you can add a card to it. And you can also give yourself plus X, where X is the number of cards underneath it once a turn. And I, I have it in my deck. It's not like I desperately wanted this card. But I saw it in my opening hand. And I also had well prepared. And it has double intellect and a wild icon. So I was like, oh, well prepared. I like those icons. They'll help me get clues. I'll put this down. I used it. I probably put eight or nine cards underneath it over the course of a scenario. And I sat at three cards underneath it. So every turn I had a plus three. It was pretty good. <laughs> I mean, I did wonder, was I putting all my my key cards under there and it was then depriving me of them? So that's obviously yeah. the downside of it. But I looped my deck really quickly because I, I was playing as Diana as well. So every time I cancel something, I draw an extra card. I just went through my deck really fast. And I thought, ah, that's kind of interesting that... It's a way of uh, of deck thinning that maybe gives you more efficiency in some combination. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying it was a fun way to play. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, and I guess there's there's also a sort of use if you've got some niche cards in your deck. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't useful. You can feel more free to burn them for say icons or or on a middling use of the card, and know you'll still have them if you're in a particular scenario where it's useful. I can't think of any good examples of of where you might want to do that. Well, what about if you're running Sister Mary with DVM? Yeah. And you you have a card that's just come out and into the Maelstrom, Hallow, and you don't have 10 Bless in the bag? You don't want it sitting this, in your hand. You draw it in the first couple of So you of just turns. commit it. Yeah, it's yeah. willpower yeah, and yeah, wild. Yeah, yeah. Then it sits in your... I mean, <laughs> the hilariousness here is that you could add a Hallow. Doom to DVM and then, and then play Hallow to remove that Doom. Yeah, that works. I mean, yeah, that's silly. But yeah, you could do something like that. Or use DVM to play Moonlight Ritual. Yeah, you can You can use DVM to play Moonlight Ritual. Is there anything else you want to add in particular, Frank? The only My final thought is that... I, say that even though that action seems fairly simple, I think it has a lot of different moving parts in it. Yeah. There's the Doom, there's the type of card it targets, there's the resource reduction, which we've not really talked about, 
and there's the fact that the event is removed from the game. And yeah. I think in combination, that's actually a lot to pass. I often think people start designing a DVM deck and then realize that they don't really need the resource reduction, say. Yeah. And they're like, ah, I'm not getting full value out of this. Because <laughs> I, I was looking down this list of insights. It's like you could use DVM to play Deep Knowledge and draw more cards, but Deep Knowledge is a zero-cost event. So yeah. oh, I mean, I, is it really worth it? I must admit, I, I thought this when you said Cryptic Research. You so, said, oh, well, you wouldn't play that. But I mean... If you've played Cryptic Research and then you play it again with DVM, you've spent yeah. one action to draw eight cards. Six. Sorry, six cards, yeah. yeah. Six cards. Sorry, yeah. four XP, yeah. three cards. I always get that mixed up. Yeah, yeah. Which, which which is still pretty good, right? Yeah, and sa- same goes for Deep Knowledge, right? You you spend two actions to draw six cards and add four curses to the bag if curses is something you're doing. But yeah, for me, the fact that I'm not getting the resource reduction... It's like, ah, am I really using it to the best of its ability? I'm not sure. And that's, I think, a point of hesitation for me. I was saying to you recently, Frank, I, I've rewatched most of Community. Mm. Um, and there's an episode where Abed takes a class in Who's the Boss? Mm-hmm. And the, the lecturer wants to... His theory is that you can't, you, you'll never know who the boss is, right? It's impossible to know who the boss is. So mm. I feel like we've, we've talked for DVM what about 45 minutes now we haven't got much closer to <laughs> deciding if it's if it's the boss or not mm. Mm. just need someone to come in and say ah well if you look at this chart here obviously it's a good card yeah yeah closing comment we have another tome that adds doom to do something the abyssal tome yes is there a home somewhere maybe dexter maybe marie for using tomes to fight and to replay events, maybe bouncing them to hand or something like that. You could call maybe. it Tome and Tome again. You could call it Tome and Tome again, yeah. I think it's almost it's worth building a deck after you've got that name. Closing comment to my closing comment. <laughs> Are we missing one Doom mitigation card somehow? Can I, can I add, sorry, just, just while I'm on the yeah. subject of deck names... My friend had to make a uh, a Marvel Champions deck um, when Groot came out using the card Great Responsibility, uh, so he could call it Groot Responsibility. Amazing. <laughs> Sorry, can you talk about Arkham again, please? No, that's all right. Yeah, I, I was just thinking: Are we missing one Doom mitigation card? Of like, as in, would it be nice if? There was just one more, a bit like Moonlight Ritual, that that did something. I mean, it's quite it's quite a hard space to design into. I think because if it was an asset, you could use as a sort of delayed doom mitigation or something. Mm-hmm. I come yeah. back to that that card we had for our designer skill card competition, which allowed you mm. to add or remove doom from player yeah. cards. Maybe it's worth digging this up again with Dexter. And I knew there was someone I forgot to mention that might be intrigued by this. Gloria. She's a writer. Yes. <laughs> so she, <laughs> she likes books. <laughs> but she does have seeker access. Yeah. Um, seeker event access in particular. So potentially she's using this to replay those seeker events. Like say she's running um, I've Got a Plan, which comes up against a couple of enemies. 
She plays I've got a plan against one of them, kills it, and then DVMs to kill the other with the same I've got a plan. Not convinced. I can hear it in your voice, Peter. Well, I, it's not It's not the one that's jumping out to me first. You know what I mean? It's, no, it's not the no, one with the yeah, most yeah, obvious yeah. synergies. And I'm already having enough difficulty getting this to work where there is a lot of obvious synergies. Yeah. That's so true. Frank that's burning in from coming coming in on my outside with <laughs> what about <laughs> Gloria? Yeah. <laughs> It's more thematic than anything else. Yeah, true, true. I mean, we've not mentioned Ancient Evils in this discussion, which is, I think, good, because Ancient Evils isn't as prevalent as it once used to be. Yeah. So, you know, particularly playing in Innsmouth, I think there's only one one scenario that has Ancient Evils. I could be wrong about that. So it doesn't feel like playing with Doom is as dangerous as it once was. But Gloria, anyway, has that ability to be a little bit more in control of what's coming up in the encounter deck so you might not have any uncomfortable surprises around doom that's not me trying to convince you that glory is a good home by the way it's just another idle thought i'm going to go with luke then as my final that to me got me most excited he's got event interplay he's got access to seeker and mystic i'm gonna have to build a luke deck yes i'll try and build a patrice deck (laughs) nice (laughs) why not any closing comments from you? Peter? No, I, th- I think I'm. I think I'm DVM doubt. I, it, I, it's, it's a really interesting card. I think similar to um, Power Self, it's got a lot of a lot of potential applications, and it's hard to narrow in on one that's the best, unambiguously the best. Uh, and like you say, I think similar to Empower Self, you feel like you're not getting full value out of it unless you're using all the bits of it. Mm, yeah. Yeah. How about you? Any any other closing comments from you? No, I've made so many closing comments. So, listener, you might have that perfect DVM deck that we don't know about. Why don't you write in and let us know? We're drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. We're drawn to the flame on Facebook, Twitter, Patreon, and Designed by Humans. Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I am United everywhere. That's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. I'm on uh, Twitter and Reddit and Steam and um, Discord. Uh, I'm also on Instagram as the.unitled. How about you, Frank? Uh, yeah, I'm around the place as Zooey Glass, Zozo, F-E-B, F-B, all of those things. Yeah, please say hello. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks for listening. In the hope of later solving the cryptogram, Elakoya bore off this volume in his coat pocket. Many of the great tomes on the shelves fascinated him unutterably, and he felt tempted to borrow them at some later time. He wondered how they could have remained undisturbed so long. Was he the first to conquer the clutching, pervasive fear which had for nearly sixty years protected this deserted place from visitors? They spoke of the heptagonal stone pillar, the overturned gothic chairs and the bizarre plaster images. Though strangely enough, the metal box and the old mutilated skeleton were not mentioned. What disturbed Henry Ferguson Gow the most, except for the hints of stains and charring and bad odours, was the final detail that explained the crushing glass. (laughs) 